Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, none other than David Schuster, TYT contributor, Rebel HQ superstar. Should be a fascinating analysis. First story of the day, Texas, Texas superintendent. Well, he got in trouble. Let's put up the picture for a mass. Soliciting Michael Stevens, a North Texas school district superintendent, was among the multiple suspects arrested for online solicitation of a minor. Stevens allegedly sent explicit photos and asked for nude videos and images in return, according to Constable Rosen. It's also alleged that some of the photos sent were taken in his office. The office paid for by tax dollars. In his conversation, Stevens had reportedly planned a trip to Houston to engage in sexual acts with a 15 year old. That's according to Rosen. Stevens is a former coach, principal and assistant principal in various districts around the state of Texas. We're gonna come back to that in just a moment. There's more in addition to Stevens arrest. Precinct one detained six more men who were charged with online solicitation of a minor. Kevin Barahona allegedly had condoms when he went to meet with who he believed was a 14 year old girl. Investigators said Aaron Gutierrez believed he was meeting a 16 year old and also brought condoms. Arturo Gonzalez allegedly went to meet a 14 year old girl for sex. The investigator said he tried to speed off when he spotted law enforcement instead. Anthony Randell Jacob had condoms when he allegedly tried meeting with a 15 year old girl. Investigators said Luis Hernandez also brought condoms to meet a 14 year old girl. Robert Fabila was accused of driving to Houston from Waco to engage in relations with a minor. An investigator said he has 60 pair of used girls underwear with him. Stevens was headed to Harris County on Thursday to face the charge against him. The rest of the suspects are out on bond. Let's put up the picture of the superintendent again. According to the current report, Stevens has held positions in the district and various districts around the state of Texas as a coach, a principal, an assistant principal, and now superintendent of schools. Um, I highlight the story because this is the reality of many monsters like them, especially the superintendent who had a long history of intentionally seeking positions of public trust in order, this is my opinion, in order to engage, <laughs> in order to engage in the, let's call it perversion, he is alleged of doing. 
Now, naturally, he will go through a process. It is called due process. Here, this is the court of public opinion. I am not the court of law. He will get his rights afforded to him. The evidence, however, is overwhelming, including the data forensics that shows the back and forth conversation. Now, this is something that's truly adversarial to the progress of a young person, right? Here's what I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing anyone in Texas talk about investigating the various other positions he has been in prior to becoming superintendent. I don't hear that there's a massive investigation into all institutions that he has served as an executive leader over <clears throat> as it relates to children. I also do not hear lawmakers proposing any laws, policy, nothing. This actually is against the progress of children. But I guarantee you, if this would have been, let's say, a book that talked about black oppression in 1958, and a student said, I'm uncomfortable because the parent told them to say it, all of a sudden, there's a massive movement around getting rid of that book, getting rid of that teacher, and possibly even codifying it into law. They are literally making laws based on opinion and review. A review of a book, well, you don't like it, let's ban it. We can't ban it, what do you mean? We can just make a law and say it's banned. They're not dealing with the issues that our children are actually facing, that's my point. They're not going to make policy changes or recommendations or fight to protect children. They simply want to fight to protect their power. And they have found that the route easy for them, the easiest route for them is to simply keep giving their base the red meat <clears throat> that they have given them for at least the last seven years. All right, my dear brother, what are your thoughts here? Well, two thoughts, first of all, you're right. There are some misplaced priorities in the Texas education system. But here's the other point, there are monsters. There are people with dark impulses in every single profession. And sadly, that happens with teachers, that happens with counselors, that happens with priests and rabbis and other people who have contacts with children. So you always have to be vigilant. But what, what's so upsetting is that when it is an educator, these educators are asking kids who have dark impulses or have problems to go and get yep. help and to get some therapy and that there's there, there are resources for you. And there were clearly resources available for teachers, even in Texas, employee assistant programs and all the rest. And the fact that this teacher was not able to say, okay, I have a problem. Anybody who's you know, any grown up who wants to have you know sex with a with a teenager who's underage has a problem. But the fact that this teacher was not able to set an example and say, okay, I have dark impulses, I have problems, I'm gonna go get help. The fact that he did not, it seems like, attempt to get any help, to me, that's the most troubling aspect of all of this. Yeah, we shall see how this pans out. Um, according to um, sources I know in Texas, he's a pretty influential person. So we shall see if he gets true justice. Here it is, the teenager, the 17 year old high school student who was at the center of the city bike Karen story has now spoken out, all right? 
I'm going to provide some significant context, nuance, his side of the story. But let me first start with this video. Here it is. Ooh, chow. If you donated to this GoFundMe, after you watch this video, you might want to get a refund. The only reason why Sarah Jane Comrie was able to produce this receipt for this bicycle is because she jumped over this young man standing right here who had his hands on the handlebars, jumped over him, impales herself on his bike, and scans the QR code to begin the ride. How did all of this happen and how do I know what happened? Because that young man is my little brother. Mm. Bike number 5603915 was in my brother's possession from St. Nicholas Avenue, Manhattan Ave, all the way to 1st Avenue, East 30th Street, from the hours of 6.33 p.m. to 7.19 p.m. At 7.19 p.m., they dock the bikes. Sarah Jane Comrie walks up to them, asks, hey, guys, can I use one of you guys' bikes? She says this as there are other bikes sitting idle at the bike rack. They politely decline. She asks them again, mentions that she's pregnant, and they still decline. Then, with my brother standing next to the bike with his hands on the handlebars, she jumps onto the bike, sits on the bike, and scans the QR code. Now, keep in mind, when Sarah produced her receipts, notice that when she did, she actually redacted the time at which she scanned that bike in. And just above, you can see it's squibbled out, and that's probably due to her or her attorney. But let's continue. Started being recorded at 7.24 p.m., close to 7.25. Um, my brother's ride that was in the previous screenshot starts at 7.25. The initial ride where my brother rid, rode the bike all the way over to the bike, this bike dock ended at 7.19 p.m. Sarah Jane Comrie walked up to them. Sarah Jane Comrie asked them if they can use the bike. They said no. Sarah Jane Comrie sees that the bike is docked, gets up, scans the QR code, jumps onto the bike, starts screaming for help and fake crying so that she can get an electric city bike. There were a number of bikes at the bike rack already there when she arrived. She still proceeded to try to take the bike from my brother. Help. Trying to get help for the city bike. The city bike is in my brother's possession on his account. 7.25 p.m. Doc said at 7.19 p.m. Picks it back up 7.25 p.m. While she's screaming for help, 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 help. Make, trying to make it seem like these boys stole this bike from her. The bike is on my brother's account. It is not defamation of character. If the way that you behave reflected your character. Now listen, I know a good scam when I see one, baby. But baby, this scam takes the cake. But not only were there other bikes available, she deliberately tried to take it from some kids. This is going to be an absolute 100% transparent rendition of what the 17 year old said. Now, once again, He's in high school, he's a child. The reluctancy to say something was understandable because he hoped, the family hoped this would pass so that he can go to college. I know these things because I've talked to the sister multiple times. Remarkable family, by the way, good people. We're gonna do this right. Let's put it up, we remember this. The teen involved in the city bike viral video along with his mother, 
They have now spoken to News One to give their side of the story. The question first posed was about the reluctancy to speak out. Mary and Michael are eager to talk to Monique Judge of News One. But Betty, their mother, is reluctant to let Michael speak with anyone. He's only 17 years old. He's my baby, Betty says. He's a senior in high school. He should be planning to attend his prom and looking forward to walking the stage at his graduation in a few weeks. But instead, he and his family have spent the last week and a half living in turmoil. Michael is the teen in the infamous City Bike video with Sarah Jane Comrie. Here's what the teen says happened. Michael said after resting in Harlem orbit, the boys continued riding into the lower east side of Manhattan. They grabbed frozen yogurt and then headed to the City Bike docking station at First Avenue and East Street, 30th Street near Bellevue Hospital. This is in the Kipps Bay neighborhood. They docked their bikes at 7.19 PM and sat there to rest. Michael insisted he and his friends never left the bikes unattended. They don't leave the bikes. Michael said all four of his friends <coughs> also have the same city bike reduced fare membership. So they docked the bikes to stop the timers from going over 45 minutes. Four of the boys were sitting on their bikes as they rested, but Michael was standing next to his bike with hands on the handlebars. Let me explain what's happening here. The program that they are referring to allows you to drive these bikes or ride these bikes for 45 minutes before it starts to charge you real money. And so in order to save a few dollars because he's 17 and not rich, they will literally dock the bike every 45 minutes or less, dock it back out and ride. This is a normative process. People who are well off do the same thing with the program afforded to them. So this was the background of why he was docking and taking the bike back. Now I'm going to provide a contrast in what the attorney said, what the statement read and what actually the teenager says happened. Uh, they were there for roughly a few minutes when he said, Michael said, Sarah Jane Comrie approached their group. Uh oh, we have a conflict. Keep the graphic up, keep that up. The conflict is in the letter from the attorney. The attorney said the five boys approached her. According to Michael, that is completely untrue. They were already there and she approached them. She initially asked one of Michael's friends if she could take the bike he was resting on. He politely declined, informing her that they were going to be leaving shortly and using the bikes again. She next approached a different child in the group and asked him the same thing. The child also politely declined. Michael was still standing near his bike with his hands on the handlebars. Put up the picture again of them two next to each other. Let me explain a few things about the law. Uh, 
she may believe uh, that she should have access to it. Um, and let's say she even scanned something. Uh, it is not her property per se. She does not have ownership of the property. She has not yet taken control of it in this moment. And the dynamic of her grabbing the phone, which we do have the picture that shows uh, that action seem to be quite aggressive. The allegation of her grab, grabbing the phone, well, that's unwanted physical contact. That's called battery, if true, there's more. According to Michael, Sarah Jane Comrie posed a question to him. Can I please have this bike? Michael said he declined. Now, why did Michael decline? Well, according to Michael, this was his only mode of transportation to get home. And he needed his bike to get home. Also, there were other bikes around, as the sister mentioned in the initial video posting. So why did she want his bike? According to Michael, the bike he docked was a newer version bike and easier to ride. Can I please have this bike, Michael said he declined. No, I'm about to take it back out, he told her. Michael said, Sarah Jane Comrie then said to him, I'm pregnant. Can you help a pregnant woman out? Michael said, he then told her, I'm sorry, ma'am. I've ridden this bike all the way from the Bronx and I need this bike to get back home. Michael says that is when Sarah Jane Comrie moved closer to him and his bike, leaned over him and scanned the QR code with her phone even as he had his hands on the handlebars. That is called possession. He has control of the bike. The bike is in his possession. She then pushed her way, according to Michael, onto the bike and attempted to remove it from the docking station and take it anyway. That was at 7.24 PM. And that is when the boys began recording. Now put up the picture again of Miss Comrie, the three, okay? According to the young men, they started recording because they were afraid. Uh, things were getting uh, really, really tense. It was escalating. She's yelling for help as if they're robbing her. None of that was happening, none of that was true. Very dangerous situation, obviously. She is putting them in by yelling help in a city like this. Michael says, she did move closer to him. He was already there, he's established his location. The rest of the interaction plays out on video. Sarah Jane Comrie, dressed in scrubs, bearing the NYC Health Plus Hospitals logo, removed her work ID badge from her neck, placed it in her bag along with a brown paper bag she was holding and began screaming for help. The boys can be heard repeatedly telling her it's not her bike. During the film part of the interaction, Michael was able to successfully push the bike back into the dock. He said he then entered the bike's number into his phone to put the reservation back on his account. Michael said when Sarah Jane Comrie noticed him doing this, she then snatched his phone out of his hand which is shown in the video. It is amazing to me, let's put her picture back up. That no one on her side, because believe me, we can see one thing and have many different opinions. Opinions are great, free speech. 
But it's interesting that nobody contextualized the reality that she is one, engaged in this action with a child. He's a minor. Number two, trying to take someone's phone out of their hand is a crime. Trying to um, physically contact or touch someone, that's unwanted physical contact, that is a crime, okay? There's more, put up the picture of the lawyer. You see, all over social media, a whole lot of people, majority, very racist groups. They have been calling for my head, calling me a racist and other things because I have an opinion. Now, in proper context, I apologized to the city bike Karen if I was wrong. But I did do something I should not have done. I should not have made such a conclusion so early without at least hearing from the other side. Lesson learned, that's called context. But let's put this attorney back up. You see in his statement, in the statement that basically all of mainstream media ran with, he said the five young men approached her. They said, no, they were already there, she approached them. There's no mention about her grabbing the cell phone from a minor. But it is in the video and also corroborated by witnesses at the scene. His name is Justin Marino. Now for those of you who are saying that this guy is going to sue me, this is what I have to say to that. I wish a Karen would. Okay, there's more. Michael's story directly contradicts, directly contradicts the narrative that Justin Marino, the attorney, the employment attorney representing Sarah Jane Comrie gave in a statement he wrote to the New York Post. Marino, the attorney, originally made public redacted alleged receipts. But as of Wednesday, his apparent Twitter account posted the unredacted receipts showing Sarah Jane Comrie had rented the bike for one minute at 7.24 PM, okay? Let's put it up. The family provided News One receipts for the city bike purchases. They show he originally rented the bike at 5.53 PM. He returned it after his final ride at 10, 12 PM. Each of the receipts he sent for review shows him riding the bike in intervals of 45 minutes or less, redocking the bike and then taking it out again a short time later. Things turned worse for the teen, the child who's in high school about to go to college. Things got worse for this teen when attorney Marino put his statement out in the media, that's according to the family. When those receipts got released, everything flipped, Michael said. People started calling me a thief, a thug, and a black man. The reason why he made that nuance, that that context was important is because he's not a black man. He's a black kid, he's a black child. See, he doesn't have a problem becoming a black man. 
but he is well aware he's a high school student. He's a child. It's definitely having an effect on me, he continued. It's just like, wow, this is crazy, Michael added. She did something wrong and she basically got rewarded for it. She's made over $100,000 on GoFundMe. She got all that, all the white conservatives on her side. Everyone who was on my side has just kind of stayed silent. Not me. Let me tell you why this is emotion. He's 17, he's 17. You see for young black males, moments like this have a way in this country of defining them, defining them, summarizing them. He's a good kid, he's actually really smart too, brilliant. He's going to do great things in college. The comments I have seen about him in particular have been very troubling. Um, many have engaged obviously in true defamation. There are those who said I engaged in defamation against uh, Ms. Comrie. Um, that did not happen, my opinion stands. Nobody here doxed Ms. Comrie, her information was already out there. 35 million people had already viewed the video. <clears throat> but I'm a 40 plus year old black man. I take the darts, the arrows are fine with me and taking them for many years. This is a 17 year old child. Even if you think he should have been more courteous to the woman who said, I want that bike, I don't want those. I want the one you got, okay? I want the one that your hands on. Even if you say he should have been courteous, just remember it was his courtesy to give. It was his courtesy to give if he wanted to give it. And he had, in my opinion, a very valid explanation as to why he did not give her the bike. People can look at one thing and see it different ways. That happens every day. But let's be clear, put the attorney back up again. Sir, there's one major issue that I have. And I'm asking for you to retract the statement that says the five boys approached her. That is my request to you, attorney, because that statement is why so many individuals, a big reason why so many individuals I believe are now saying that he's a thief, that they are thugs, that they came at her. You see, narrative attorney is important. All right, David, thoughts? 
Well, a couple of things. I mean, I I get how emotionally charged this is all the way around. And we are all entitled in this country of ours to express opinions, to draw whatever analysis we see based on whatever evidence we want. And my analysis has not changed from the beginning. And that is what jumped out to me, even despite knowing the he said, the she said, the conflicting stories, the lawyers, the claims, the back and forth. It jumps out to me that there she was doing a fake crying in the midst of this dispute. And to me, that signaled that she was looking for trouble. In my opinion, she was looking to validate her own racism. It's my opinion that she was racist in this. It's my opinion that she was the adult in this situation who could have backed off and said, okay, let's calm down. Tell me a little bit more about the bicycles. Why are you so attached to this bicycle? It's the new one, I would like, but she didn't do that. She merely escalated this. And again, I, you know, I'm with you in terms of her attorney. If her attorney, which it sounds like he has done, is out there making false statements about these young black kids, the attorney has an obligation to correct the record. If the attorney is gonna demand that everybody who said something maybe prematurely or maybe without the full context should retract this, then the attorney should be the first one to retract his false statement. Yeah, and uh, just so you know, I got some people trying to get me the full video because there are cameras in that area. And I wanna make it very clear who approached who. So that operation is underway. We'll bring it to you as soon as it comes. Hell of a thing, something really um, dangerous. Never really seen anything like this before, here it is. Back now with the bus shootout caught on camera. Newly released surveillance video catching the tense moments a Charlotte bus driver shot at a passenger who pulled a gun on him. That bus driver now fired from his job. We want to warn you, the footage you're about to watch is graphic. Shocking new video shows the dramatic shootout between a North Carolina bus driver and a passenger, leaving the driver out of a job and the passenger facing multiple felony charges. Officials from the Charlotte Area Transit System, or CATS, releasing the video and saying the shootout occurred earlier this month after the passenger, Omari Tobias, asked the driver to make an unscheduled stop. When the driver, David Fullard, refused, Tobias can be heard talking back. That's when Tobias is seen pulling a gun and Fullard reveals his own. Shots are exchanged as the bus drives off the road. Let's put up the picture. Uh, this had to be a very scary moment for the bus driver. Let me give you the background to this dramatic video. It shows a May 18th altercation between a Charlotte area transit system bus driver and a passenger. The driver, his name is David Fuller. Mr. Fuller told the passenger, Omari Tobias, that he would have to wait until the next designated stop to be let off the bus. The argument ensued between the two resulting in both men sustaining life-threatening injuries. However, both were stable and are expected to make a full recovery. Let's keep the graphics up. I think um, one thing that stood out to me was the reality of how buses work. Um, I remember as a teenager, I caught the bus everywhere I went. I have requested MARTA bus driver 
hey, do you mind dropping me off here instead of here? 90% of the time, they couldn't do it. Said it violated policy, and it did. Courtesies, once again, are for the person to give or not. There's more. In a video, the altercation of the altercation the agency released last week, the bus driver and the passenger appear to have an exchange before Tobias pulls out a gun. Okay. And the bus driver takes out his own firearm right after. Bullets shatter a barrier between the driver and the passenger. It was not immediately clear from the video who fired first. The transit agency did not immediately respond to an overnight request for comment. Let's put up the picture of the passenger. Uh, and I will say this, I, it's amazing that both of these individuals are alive with that kind of gunfire at close range. Um, as far as who shot first, me personally, it doesn't matter. Um, once you pull out a gun uh, on another human being, you have to expect that if they have one, they are pulling one out too. It's just how it works. I'm, I'm from a place where that's how it works. As of now, it is not clear if the driver will be charged with anything. He was let go from cats. He was let go. They claim he did not properly de-escalate the situation and was not allowed to bring a gun to work. He has a policy of violation of work policy issue. The driver's attorney, Ken Harris, said his client has worked with the transit system for nearly 20 years. And he feared for his safety. And I agree. I agree. Uh, he says an investigation found the bus driver Fuller did not use uh, any of a number of, of alarm systems available to the bus drivers, WCNC reported. He also said that it was standard procedure not to allow passengers off between bus stops, but that drivers can make allowances if necessary. Um, once again, it's a courtesy that can be given or not. I don't think at any point the bus driver believed that if he did not extend the courtesy for whatever reason, running late, um, having somewhere to be, don't know. I'm sure he didn't think somebody would pull a gun on him to make him do it uh, and take it from a person who's had a gun pulled out on him before. I've had a gun pulled out on me before. It's one of the scariest moments of your life and you don't have a whole lot of time to think about it. So when you have a gun in your face and you are in actual fear of your <clears> life, <throat> well, if you are a bus driver and defend yourself, I guess you get fired. All right, dear brother, thoughts here. This is a tough one because yeah. uh, I get the policy of a lot of municipalities where you're not allowed to have firearms on public transportation. And so fine, that's a violation of policy. But what do you do when somebody's literally threatening your life because you won't extend a courtesy to them of stopping the bus a couple hundred yards before the next stop? Um, do you just sort of sit there and take you know them waving a gun in your face? Uh, there's not enough time, I don't think, if I'm the bus driver to try to set off all the fire alarms and follow all the protocols that have been drilled into you about what you're supposed to do during an emergency, you just react and yeah. this is how they reacted. And sadly, there's so many weapons flowing through our cities and streets and communities that I think we'll see more of this. Yeah, and but once again, both men are going to live. Both of them will be able to think about whatever actions they could have taken or not um, differently, right? But they're alive, both of them. Okay, we got more on the other side.
It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Lot of show left. Let me read a few of these comments. I'm really pressed for time. I'm way behind. Texting says, what are the odds that the superintendent is a youth pastor on the weekends? <laughs> That's true. Like the way at that pace, of course, he probably involved in some kind of uh, ministry. All right, um, YouTube. Perry Anderson took all that money for PR too, LOL. These people will, go, will give away their money for racism any day of the week. Pathetic, I agree. Uh, Lynn says, when this story was originally reported, I had questioned why the time was redacted on her receipt. She obviously knew, but she ob- so obvious she was hiding something. Yeah. Uh, Cheesecake Brownie, why on earth would they approach her? What kind of crap attorney does she have? And why does she need an attorney to arrest a 17 year old boy? Can't she just admit she was a Karen? That's too difficult, it's too hard. All right, uh, Tyler Hackner, gifted one indisputable. Membership, thank you for that. Christopher Moore, thank you, Christopher. Uh, prosecution of activists in the ongoing protests of Cop City. Where Senator Warnock, also Stacey Abrams, can you reach out about why they aren't making moves on behalf of their constituency? Already have, at least the two of those individuals you named, okay? Um, and uh, my stance is very clear. Uh, what they are doing is utterly disgusting. All right, pitchfork, dragon, thank you for that. Doc, you gotta be on the lookout for wild animals today. <laughs> You have cougar bait on your show. <laughs> oh my, my God, they're getting so creative. Wow. Every, every time you come here, man, you're like a, you're a magnet. I'm man. a running joke, that's what I've become, but that's okay. That's right, oh, I'll take you're it. You're a magnet, brother, you gotta, you gotta own it, <laughs> all right? Uh, California Love, welcomed in, it's beautiful, thank you so much. Stephanie Haynes, thank you, Stephanie. Please pardon my ignorance, as the only time I've ever held a gun was in a Navy boot camp in 2004 when I was 17. Uh, how is a button supposed to square up against a damn gun? Sounded like uh, a match to me. Uh, should not have gotten that far. Right. It's not, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Oh, hardly. All right. Got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. What? Yeah. Are you recording? Yes, now? I am. Yeah. Because yeah. you're that immature and you're lazy and all you do is stand here. Oh my God! And you pro-choice. Yeah. You know what? Back. Give me your back. What? What? What do you exactly? What? Why are you still oh talking God. to me? Why are you still talking to me? Well, because I told you have a nice day. Back. Well, you don't like this petition. You can move on. You, from it. you don't have to sign it if you don't like it. That's okay. My facts for a pro-choice petition? What's your facts on that? I believe every woman has a rep- has right to her own body. Why are you yelling at me? I'm, I- You have no right to sit here and come up to people and say something, especially if you're a man. It's a petition. You don't have to sign it. You have a good day, okay? Disgusting. You don't know what it's like. I've lost three children trying to have babies. That's okay. Shut up. Okay. I, I didn't, I, I didn't say, I didn't say anything. I didn't say you. too. Have a good day. But he does have the right. It's called freedom of speech. It's a beautiful thing. He has the right to say something. You know, it was Killer Mike, my dear friend, who taught me that 
Freedom of speech allows us to know who our enemies are. It's a beautiful, beautiful way to look at. Um, so obviously you see what happens here. Let's put it up for a mask. Uh, naturally, you do not have to agree with a particular ideology, political position. But it is interesting, and I've seen this routinely, my dear brother, that many times these um, particular Karens will talk about rights while at the same time saying you do not have the same right as they do. They don't realize that's what they're saying, but that's exactly what they're saying. So she has a right to approach him or to yell at him or to talk to him. But he does not have the equal right to talk to her, to approach her. And I did not see any yelling at all, but guess what? You actually have a right to do that too. All right, David Thoughts. I would say it even extends to, um, I mean, when you're talking about rights, the pro-life or shall I say the pro-birth movement often tends to give more rights to somebody, some fetus in the womb than to people who are actually living and breathing on their own. And and that's just one problem that I have with the pro-birth movement. But but here's the other, Um, it seems like this woman was projecting that she has a lot of regrets, a lot of anger about how her life went. And maybe there is something about people making different choices than the ones that she made that triggers some anger, some visceral hatred that she has. A kudos to the kid, to the guy with the petition for staying yeah. so calm and so matter of fact and polite under some pretty difficult circumstances. Yeah, yep. Um, very professional. I mean, he did not allow anything to rattle him. Okay. Very sad story. Uh, Jackie O from Wild and Out, one of my favorite comedic shows. Um, she has died. She's died. She was the girlfriend of DC Youngfly, another young man, one of the most talented comedians in the uh, young culture uh, that I've seen. I've interviewed him before as well. Um, he's a beautiful soul himself. We go to this video. Hi, we was calling because somebody is using your social security number, and uh, we need you to confirm that it's yours. So can you please state it? <laughs> Wait, what? If you know that it's my social, then why do I have to say it? <laughs> Sir, we're just trying to make sure that is completely right. So can you please, uh, you know, say it? Well, can't you guys just say it first? Uh, and then I can confirm? Well, see, we can't do that because then, you know, it might get it wrong and stuff like that. So just say the last digits and that's the. That's all right. Uh, my last digits is uh, 911. <laughs> <laughs> hey, funny guy. <laughs> You're such a funny guy. Hey, hey almost hey, had you. Almost. <laughs> almost. Hey, almost. <laughs> oh, man. 658 Garden Lane. <laughs> Jonathan Simmons, right? <laughs> like, don't laugh in my face like like you won, bro. Like, I'm not these normal scam likelies, bro. I'm scammed for sure. Like, Yo, who are you? Who am I? Bro, I'm finna be you, bro. When I get your socials, that's it. That's checkmate, bro. Like, don't laugh. This not a... That was basically a PSA, all right? Um, let's put it up, full mass. You know, people that bring smiles to our faces are very special. Former Wild and Out star and social media personality Jackie O has tragically passed away at just 32 years of age. She was the longtime partner of comedian, rapper, singer. He actually has an R&B album and actor DC Youngfly. She also leaves behind three young children. The couple shared 
the youngest of whom was born last year. A statement from a BET Media Group spokesperson said, and I quote, we are deeply saddened by the passing of Jacqueline Smith, known to the world as Jackie O, a talented wild and out family member whose impact will forever be treasured and missed. Jackie O was a loving friend and beloved colleague of the wild and out cast throughout five seasons. More importantly, she was a tremendous mother to three beautiful children. Although the cause of her death is not clear at this time, reports started circulating online Thursday that Miss O was undergoing a mommy makeover in Miami prior to her untimely death. In a since deleted post, she is seen smiling alongside Dr. Zach, a self-identified liposuction and BBL specialist. Dr. Zach reportedly has an extensive list of negative reviews online with one review recommending patients find another doctor. While another cited, this was the biggest disappointment of my life. The story will continue to develop, updates will come. For now, I want you to send your prayers if you are a person of faith, positive vibes if you are not, to DC Youngfly and his children. This family is going through a transition they never imagined could be possible. All right, David, thoughts? I mean, it's heartbreaking, what an incredible yeah. talent. And one can only hope that at a certain point, it won't really matter how she died, but just the fact that she's no longer here. And that's what people will be able to focus on. And I'm also reminded of, it's not about the years in your life, it's about the life in your years. Mm, and she yeah. certainly packed so much into 32. And just yeah. you know, condolences to her family, her friends, and everybody who knew her. Yeah, condolences um, to my dear brother, DC Youngfly, stay strong. We got more on the other side, indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back. We're really, really late on time. Let me read one comment. Um, RFD underscore Raymoth underscore Dragon. Freedom of speech is a wonderful thing. It lets you know who and where the idiots are. Mm. See, it works the same way with idiots in there. Yes, brace yourself, all right? A 12-year-old sister fatally stabs her nine-year-old sibling. And this is the moment after. Here it is. I'm so come sorry. I'm so sorry. Come here. Come here. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to put handcuffs on just for now. I'm sorry. Just pull up your pants. Where's the knife? I'm sorry. Dad, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How old are you? I'm 12 years old. Where's the knife? I was upstairs in my room and I threw it out the window. And you threw it into the apartment right here. You threw it where? I threw it out my window upstairs. Right not, up not right there, it's the room, it's the other room. It's right behind the apartment, this apartment right here. So where would the knife be, on that side? Behind, right behind, yeah. the knife? I'm okay. so sorry, Mama. I'm so sorry, I don't know what happened. This is something not I'm hey, so sorry. What's your mom's name? Man, we had to cut that video short. Couldn't stand it. <clears throat> 12 year old, Oklahoma, 
12-year-old Oklahoma girl tearfully told police the back of a patrol car earlier this year as a nine-year-old brother was dying from the stabbing she admittedly committed. The fatal incident occurred at an apartment in Tullis's downtown St. Thomas Square neighborhood. This was just before midnight on January 5th, according to the police department. I'm so sorry, the girl continued. I don't know what the happened. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, end quote. The girl also revealed to the arresting officer that she had cut wounds on her arms, which the cop examined during her arrest. She never explained in the video why she stabbed her nine year old brother. And her mom expressed shock to police as to how and why the stabbing had unfolded. I just don't understand why she would have had so much anger toward him. The mom told police according to law and crime video, especially at bedtime. The mother said, statements from the mother include she has been very well behaved the entire six months she has been gone. And yes, I'm very supportive of her and I love her very much. Obviously, there is a lot of healing that we both need before we can ever live together again. And she needs mental and emotional help after this. She could have permanent damage. We don't know yet, She, but she has not had any issues, April Leiter wrote. One explanation ventured by April Leiter's pharmaceutical. They were good kids and I never let that prevent me from providing for them in every way, including emotionally, mentally, financially, etc. She wrote, they were raised as God-fearing children and never had behavioral issues until she was put back on medication she was off for over a year. The girl's mother clarified that the medication was not psychiatric, but she did not want to elaborate because I'm not sure what all I'm allowed to share just yet. She has never even yelled at me. She was happy and energetic, loved school. She is not mentally ill. She has not been diagnosed with anything, April Lida wrote. Adding later on, she was as normal as a child or your child as any 12 year old child who was not allowed to cuss or watch scary evil movies. She was just starting to rebel because, but she was also just going through normal teenage things. So no one, so no, there were no signs that would have warned any of us that she was a threat. Um, Listen, there are going to be many opinions about why this happened, what happened. But you know, a nine year old child is dead. And the baby was just likely going to sleep, okay? Regardless of what you may believe about the parents, um, that nine year old child has to be honored that family is absolutely torn. Put up the GoFundMe.
I'm going to contribute, I hope you do the same. April and the family, they have launched the GoFundMe naturally. This has created significant turmoil in their entire existence. This was a tough one, brother. Um, normally, we don't see the precise aftermath of something like this, a very tragic family situation and death of a nine year old and being killed by a 12 year old sister and her raw reaction. Uh, those things are not normative in, in our you know, review of media. Um, so it, it impacted me in a way. Um, what are your thoughts? This is one of the hardest stories that I think I've ever seen. And it yeah. because, um, because I'm a parent, I have yeah. a 10 uh, year old girl and a six year old boy, three and a half years difference between them. The daughter hopefully will be 12 years old at some point and son will yeah. be nine. And so they'll have that same split. And I can yeah. already see as any parent can, you can see sometimes your kids, they fight, they argue, they want more attention. They feel that the other one's getting the attention and sometimes they strike out and lash out at each other. This is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, that Man. somebody would grab a knife for no for no reason you can understand. Um, there's just there's just no words. There's no words yeah. for it. And I just my heart breaks uh, for this family. Um, and I just I hope everybody contributes to the GoFundMe page and sends their thoughts and prayers not only to the 12 year old and her mom but also to the deceased nine year old. Yeah, horrible. There's a video of a car hitting a wrecker, uh, full speed the wrong way, here it is. Officials say they don't know how the driver could have missed the flashing lights and emergency vehicles that she approached this accident scene and the wrecker at full speed. Good. This body camera video shows what happened. <laughs> the car rams into the back of the wrecker, then goes airborne, slamming into another car as officers run to help. Roll over. Wow, put up the picture. Um, the, the irony of hitting the wrecker at the right angle to go airborne like that rather than just crashing and then coming down specifically on another moving vehicle. Dramatic police video captured the moment of a Florida driver's car rocketing off a tow truck ramp while traveling down Georgia Highway, the Georgia Highway on Wednesday. The vehicle was lifted 120 feet in the air before it crashed into another car, according to the Georgia State Patrol. The incident happened after another unrelated crash occurred on the same part of the highway not long before. Around 11.20 AM, the truck was getting ready to load a wrecked vehicle and was parked in the highway's eastbound left lane with its emergency lights on, according to a state patrol crash report. Body camera video from an officer at the scene captured a car identified in the crash report as a 2014 Nissan Altima driving toward the truck's ramp. The report doesn't say how fast the driver was moving. It identifies the posted speed limit in the area is 65 miles per hour. The Nissan's driver identified in the report as a Tallahassee woman born in 2001 was hospitalized with serious injuries. Her condition was not immediately clear. A second driver also hospitalized according to the report. Another thing is not clear, um, what the driver was actually doing in the moments leading up to this um, crash. No fatalities, all right, no fatalities have been reported. Um, let's put up these stats because these are important, all right? So in this case, nobody died. People are injured, that's still not a good thing. 
And although there were no fatalities, according to the CDC, about 3,000 people died in crashes involving a distracted driver each year. When broken down, that's nine people a day who are killed in crashes involving a distracted driver. The reason why this is important to note is because that's extremely preventable, extremely preventable. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has identified three kinds of distracted driving. They are number one, visual distractions that cause you to take your eyes away from the road. This can include using a GPS, looking at a billboard, rubbernecking an accident, checking out the scenery, or even looking at other cars surrounding you instead of those directly in your path and adjacent to you. Number two, manual distractions that cause you to remove your hand from the wheel. Behavior such as eating while driving, using your phone, changing the radio station, or reaching for something in the car are all examples of manual distractions. And the third, cognitive distractions that take your mind off of driving, singing, talking, daydreaming, or worrying all fall into that category. We will bring you updates as uh, they come. We do not know what the driver was experiencing in the moment. Uh, thoughts here? Well, anytime you step behind the wheel, you're driving 2,000 to 3,000 or more pounds of steel. That's right. Uh, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a weapon uh, essentially. And so, yes, I, I'm the first one to be tempted to change the radio station or to check my phone and all that. Uh, but all of us have to do a better job of focusing on what's in front of us. The radio station, yeah. the phone call, the text can wait. Yep, there you go. We have an update to a story that we covered initially. White male says a bunch of racial slurs, pulls out a gun on children. Well, you know, he gets no jail time. Let me remind you of the video. Here it is. picture full mass. Let me give you the update as to what has happened or should I say not happened. In an update, a Miami man who threatened black teenagers with a gun will only get probation. The man in the video, his name is Mark Bartlett, 55 years of age. He's a businessman. Bartlett pleaded guilty. He said he did it. He pleaded guilty to committing a hate crime with a deadly weapon. He said he did it. He committed this hate crime against teenagers who happen to be black in Florida. Which means he can say he did it and it is a hate crime, which means there should be an aggravator, right? It extended punishment, enhanced sentencing, not for him. Didn't happen that way, sentenced to 10 years probation. He also has to do community service, no jail time. The victims were a group of young cyclists gathering on Martin Luther King Jr. Day.
This was a day of service to protest two primary causes, the potential loss of affordable housing in Miami's Liberty City neighborhood and gun violence. The anti-gun violence demonstration was called Wheels Up, Guns Down and featured mostly young black males on their bikes, motorcycles and all-terrain vehicles. Participants not only rode their bikes between traffic, uh, but put on elaborate shows that included popping willies and riding while standing up. Once again, this is an anti-gun, anti-gun movement, okay? Bartlett argued that he confronted the teens to defend his girlfriend who was already in a shouting match with a group after she demanded that they move. The woman accused one of the teens of running over her foot. Initially, he was charged with carrying a concealed firearm. Those charges were adjusted with the prosecution adding other counts of aggravated assault with prejudice. In total, Bartlett pleaded guilty to five different counts. The man said he did it. A plea agreement will require the Broward County man to fulfill hundreds of hours of community service, take some anger management classes, attend racial sensitivity training with the NAACP, and relinquish his rights to possess a firearm for those 10 years that he's on probation. Lastly, two additional firearms, uh, two additional terms, excuse me, of the deal are that Bartlett is forbidden to have any contact with the victims and had to appear before uh, the court and apologize with an emphasis on how negatively impacting his use of derogatory slurs was on the victims. I apologize for my conduct that day, he says, I was wrong to use those words and direct the pain that my words have caused anyone around or anyone in the vicinity. Both Joseph and Cruz were present to his apology and asked about the outcome of the case. Joseph said, to be honest, I'm not really happy. They should have put the belt on him all the way. No remorse because it was the other way around. Uh, They would have put it on us. That is correct, Uh, black male, just think about it, black male walks up to a bunch of children, um, white children, pulls out a gun, calls them racial slurs, all right, threatens them, drives off, only gets charged with a concealed weapons um, charge. And then later because of national protests and outrage, it is enhanced. And then at the conclusion, zero jail time for the black male who did this. That will never happen, okay? That narrative will never happen. All right, dear brother thoughts. I would take it a step further. Uh, I mean, if this had been a black man who had pulled a gun on a white child and then sort of drove off, you know that the police would have gone and perhaps yeah. opened fire on that man. That guy would not live to see the end of the street. Yeah. Our society is messed up, and this guy should have gotten jail time. I'm glad he's got community service, uh, but man, what a what a disaster. Yeah. All right. Always a pleasure, dear brother, having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you. Continue checking out your great work. Rebel HQ on both Facebook and YouTube. We got a video that we put up this afternoon about Lauren Boebert. She missed a vote on the debt ceiling, even though she campaigned hard against raising the debt ceiling. How could she miss that vote? Check out the video. There's another video by my colleague Jeff Wiggins about something Lauren Boebert did over Memorial Day that will blow your mind. Those two videos at the top of Rebel HQ, go to Facebook or YouTube, you'll find them there. Always great content, always. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Dr. Richie. All right, we got more. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, she's back. We have Miss Corinne Clark, co-founder of freepressfail.com. 
Republican strategist who works with conservative campaigns all over the country crafting their messaging. So I thought it would be fitting to have such an expert on the program to talk about the messaging of Trump. Specifically as it relates to the new thing, which is, well, there's a recording of him with classified documents knowing they were still classified, which is contrary to the messaging he laid out that they were not. All right, Ms. Clark, I don't want to presume what you know or believe about Trump's messaging or statement before or after. If you would, offer it, I would then opine. Well, it seems this week that the media got a hold of a an audio recording, as you mentioned, of Trump discussing what is presumed to be a classified document that he has he has the authority to declassify and classify documents. Um, and federal prosecutors are saying that they're pursuing a case against this because it is contrary to what President Trump previously said about classified documents. I think what is concerning about this is that we're seeing yet another lawsuit brought about against Trump that seems to have been leaked to the media before it goes to court for political purposes. And I think what we're going to see here is another case that blows up in the face of liberal prosecutors who spoke too soon and we'll have to watch how it plays out. You know, that is interesting. You do realize that Donald Trump himself appointed some of these liberal investigators and prosecutors that you all are claiming are left leaning even though Trump was behind the appointment. Let me ask you a question in reference to the absolute narrative about him having classified documents. Now he said they were actually declassified because, and let me just read it to you for sake of clarity. Sean Hannity posed the question during that infamous interview. Is there a process, he says, what is your process to declassify? Trump replies, there doesn't have to be a process as I understand it. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying it's declassified, even by thinking about it. So let me ask you this question, can Donald Trump declassify documents by thinking about it? Absolutely, the president is the ultimate authority on classification. And if you look at the regulations of this, there's not actually a lot of law at all that regulates classification. It is all regulated through agency codes, executive and executive orders or executive boards that have some kind of say on how classification is implemented. And all of those regulations are not regulations of the president's authority. They're regulations of agency authority because the only only authority on classification, the ultimate authority on classification is the president of the United States. It also works for security clearance like that. Like Donald Trump does not need a security clearance because the people gave him a security clearance when they elected him. He is he was elected to do with that information what he wants to. And I think they're going to have a hard time in court proving that he violated any kind of classification regulation because there is no classification regulation of the president. Hmm, interesting, so you said that the president of the United States can declassify simply by thinking about it. You want to stick with that answer? He doesn't need to do anything to declassify. He's allowed to discuss any information as he pleases. Once again, the question is, do you believe Donald Trump can declassify by thinking about it. As he said to Hannity, your answer was yes, I'm giving you an opportunity to correct it if you would like to. But if not, we'll roll with it. Do you believe a president can declassify information by simply having a thought 
it is now thus declassified. I believe there is no regulation that says that is not the case. Can a president declassify information by stumping his left toe twice? He doesn't need to do anything. There is no physical action required from the president to declassify information. Anytime that he chooses to discuss information, classified or not, it is at his will to do so. But that's not the issue at hand. Discussion. He is because no, it is discussion, not a violation no, of law, then it's not illegal. No, ma'am. The discussion is not the issue. The issue is if the documents were declassified or classified. Remember when you all said Hillary Clinton? needed to go to prison because she had classified information. That's actually not what we said. That was a much more difficult case. About no, that is that is what many conservatives said. No, no absolutely. Many, exactly conserv exactly many conservatives exactly. said that she had classified emails, emails. There and is those classified emails should have led to her arrest. But the question is real simple. If a president can declassify information just by thinking about it, you have to think about how ridiculous that is, Madam. Was uh, what, president? What, Say that again. Hillary Clinton was never the president, so you're no, no. The point it. is, no, ma'am. That's not the point. The point is, is when I said the president is the ultimate okay. authority oh, okay. on classification, I did I, I'm going to make my point, and my point is going to be my point. And my yeah, point is, if you believe the insanity that Donald Trump can declassify by thinking about it, then why didn't you all say, well, I wonder did President Obama think about it, and thus they were declassified for Hillary Clinton? Because declassification, madam, declassification, I'm going to finish my point, ma'am. Declassification is not for the president, it's for the public. The declassification process allows for the public to have access to the information. So if a president can declassify by way of thinking of it, that means it is available to me and you. Do you not understand that's the reason for declassification? It becomes a public record. Right? There's actually several stages of declassification. And yes, there we go. Yeah. Several stages it, of declassification. I yes, appreciate you coming many, on the show. Thank you very much. There are many stages, and all of them lie in the hands of the president. The ultimate authority wow. of classification is repeatedly stated through hmm. multiple codes and regulations. Well, and where's the one about thinking about it? That there's not one law, and you have not stated but one. But where, no, ma'am, you haven't stated a law that said you can think about declassification as if president. There's not a law that says. That this is exactly how you declassify, then it says, as every regulation says, again, mm -hmm. it is actually not a law. These are all executive orders and executive regulations. They all say mm. that the ultimate authority lies with the president, and there is absolutely zero regulation on what the president does with that information. There is a mm. ton of regulation of what the executive branch, other than the executive, does. Mm -hmm. That's what those orders regulate. They regulate agencies, they regulate mm -hmm. uh, members of the administration, much like the Secretary of State. And mm -hmm. all of those people have very clear instructions on handling of classified information. The mm -hmm. president is not under those regulations. Mm -hmm. So when Trump said that the documents were declassified because he took them out of the White House. But then there's a conversation afterwards where he says, I can't do what I want to do with these documents because they are in fact classified. You as a messaging strategist, do you not see the irony or the conflict of his own narrative? 
the narrative there is actually, I think, to do with security that he didn't want to go public with these records, but not that he could not legally possess them. The possession of the documents has is not illegal and there is no regulation that couldn't say that he couldn't declassify them and that he couldn't possess them. Well, this is Presidential Re uh, Records mm -hmm. Act gives him the authority to remove any documents well, from the House that he wanted. And he seems to be discussing that he did not want this to become public because he thought it would be harmful. But mm. if we want to talk about the contents of the well, documents. Well, that's not what the narrative says, madam. That's not what the it, that's not what the narrative says. That's a lie. That's not what the narrative says at all. Uh, he did not want to uh, go public because he knew they were classified and he was restricted on what he could do as a former Based president. That's according to that you well, have but that's that's more done. than what you have. You just made something up. You don't uh, have a narrative you, at all that says no, he said Richard, that. Maybe you have an informant at the prosecutor's office that none of us do. No, I read what the report I read said. It too. I read, okay, so I, how did you come up with your conclusion? Where, where you get yours from? Who told yeah, you? The conclusion is that he said he did not want to release it because he thought it could be harmful. From what people okay. have paraphrased, I have well, not. You know, the I, I've always wondered that question. I've always wondered, you know, if they're declassified and he's supposed to be this great champion doing it for you know the people, like he. He always does. If he has this classified, declassified documentation that's uh, that should be released to the public, why did he not release one damn document? I actually do think it should be. Uh, but why did he not do it? The memo. Why did he not release it? The memo was from General Milley, suggesting but that. Why the did he not release it? To Iran if, and goes to war with mm -hmm. Iran. Donald okay. Trump said, "I think that's mm -hmm. crazy. That saved." How many American lives? How many Iranian lives? And was mm. better for our entire country. Make when, it uh, Biden, and I, I man, we have enough. Donald Trump was smarter than some of the stupid generals that, that we put in power. When asked that you respect the platform, uh, we do have another show coming up. Just very quickly, when Biden took um, classified documents, we found out that he had classified documents in his office. Uh, when Biden took classified documents out of the White House, or when um, others have taken classified documents out of the White House, why did you all say what they did was criminal? Uh, we haven't said it's criminal. That's why he's yes. not being prosecuted. Yes, no, you have. No, you definitely. Oh, which plenty of individuals. Even Donald Trump, Trump mentioned it. Even Trump mentioned it during the CNN interview. He mentioned it to say that why would I be prosecuted for something that the vice president did as well? Hmm. There is no prosecution against Joe Biden. So, I guess you are saying if they're on equal footing that you yeah. also believe this is ridiculous. Yeah. So the the we agree uh, then. No, we don't agree, madam. I, I would probably never agree with much of whatever you say. But I will ask you this, do you think other presidents have declassified things with their brain? I believe that the president has the ultimate authority to declassify. So I have no issue with the president making the decision to declassify a document. Yeah, but is that a decision? I mean, do you accept that from, let's say your family or friends that is a decision that's made if I think about it? Sure. Silly as hell. I appreciate you being on the show though. Thank you. Thanks. All right, remember, <laughs> take care of yourself. Take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.